So with that being said, would you please stand with me? <clears throat> John, we're going to continue on <clears throat> in your, uh, if you have your physical copy of God's word or see on the screen, we're going to read, you read silently, I'm going to read John chapter 5, verses 1 to 9a, only the first part of that verse. The text says, after this, there was a after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. You may be seated. There was a minister who received a letter from the governor of a state inviting him to come and to pray at a local council meeting. But the governor wrote in that letter, when you pray, don't be specific in your prayers. Pray a more generic prayer. Why? Because you don't want to offend those who may have different religious beliefs. When the minister read the letter, the minister gladly accepted the invitation from the governor. So on that day, when it was time for him to get up and pray, he took to the podium and he began to pray. He said these words, he says, and I love it, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to pray before the council. I would like to thank you for creating all of these men, because if they were not here, they could not take on this responsibility. Then he said, according to your word, everything was created by Jesus Christ. Then he says, thank you, Lord, for creating government. Government is an institution of God, according to the Apostle Paul, who met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Lord, if there are any council people here today who do not understand that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and bodily rose from the dead, would you explain it to them? I ask you to bless their proceedings today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can't get more specific than that. Obviously, the governor, after he prayed, was livid, infuriated. And he goes to the minister, I asked you not to be specific. You offended so many people here today to which the minister said, I don't do neutral prayers. I don't do Muslim prayers. I don't do Buddhist prayers. I do Christian prayers because I am a Christian. And that means to follow Jesus Christ. I love this because the minister understood the authority and the prominence and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wanted to obey him and obey him only. In our text this morning, I hope that each and every one of us, we see Jesus 
clearly, that he would be front and center and realize his work. Because now we're in a section of scripture where he's already been working, but his works are going to be front and center prominent before each of us. Jesus, in our text, he encounters real people. I love it. Who had names. Who were going through life. They had problems. They struggled. And when Jesus encountered them, specifically in our text, a man, he demonstrates God's power and his goodness. This same Jesus that we read about in John chapter 5, it's the same Jesus who works in our lives today as well. I'm so grateful. I don't know if you guys often pray this way, but I do. Jesus, I thank you that you know me. You know my personality. You know my proclivities. You know my issues. You know everything about me. Even when the person I'm sitting next to may not know anything about me. But Jesus, you know me. You know where I am. You know my struggles. You know my pains. You know my problems. And yet, as I am going through all of these issues in life, and you can put your name there, the truth of, uh, of the matter is this. He does not move away from us in our issues, but he moves close to us. Again, I believe some of us, I know me, I don't want to put you out there. Again, Russell want to out himself. That often when life gets, I don't know, I, like, I, I wouldn't want to live in a place where the earth moves under my feet. Earthquakes. Has anybody experienced one of those? Where you're sitting around, you're standing, and something moving under my feet, I'm like, I, I don't, see, I, I can't grab nothing. Because everything under me is going, is going down. Like I, sometimes life feels like it's just moving under my feet. And, and Jesus, I'm calling out to you. I'm asking you to answer certain prayers. And you seem to be absent. Where are you? Has anybody ever felt that way? Jesus, where are you here? I'm calling out to you. I'm asking that you would step in, that you would bring healing for me or healing for someone in my life. I'm asking that you would give me a job, a good job, Lord, but nothing is coming through. Where are you? Are you absent? To which I believe the psalmist in Psalm 139 answers this for us. Look at it with me. David writing in Psalm 139 verses 1 to 6 where he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The psalmist says, no, this is not a God who is aloof who doesn't know about me, who doesn't know what I'm going through. He's not a God who's aloof, who doesn't know about you and doesn't know what you are going through. Today, Jesus is going to encounter a man. In the text, he is described as an invalid. In other words, he's disabled. From the text, it seems that he was unable to walk. This man, Jesus, encounters. He is in social isolation and in great need of help. We know this because the text also says that at this pool where he was, there were a whole bunch of other people with issues. 
they're described as lame, blind, and paralyzed. All of these people at this pool were suffering from debilitating illnesses. And out of this sea of people who had a need, Jesus focused on one man, a man who had been sick and invalid for 38 years. So as we prepare to look at these verses, this is our main point for this morning that I want you to think on, and it is this. Jesus cares for people whose suffering and isolation are beyond measure. He cares for people whose suffering and isolation are beyond measure. See, Jesus just, he doesn't just touch those who have spiritual issues but are socially acceptable. And I like this because you and I, we don't mind being around unbelievers as long as you buttoned up, as long as you not, you don't look crazy, as long as you, you look like you got a little something with you. I don't mind being around you, but I don't want to be around that person who not only has a spiritual problem, but you look crazy. If we're honest, I'm talking about the person that we caricature when we get off of the interstate. And in the woods, you see a bunch of people who some of them have mental illnesses. They look like they haven't bathed in weeks. Those are the ones when we, 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 we drive and our windows are down and when we get over, we kind of turn our head and roll the window up. See, we don't, I, I, okay, I, I grew up with those cars where everything is now electric, uh, you, just, you just hit a button and it goes up. I remember the cars where the windows, where you had to do that, right? And you see your arm moving, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want this person coming to my window. I need to roll the window up. Right? We, 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 we do that because that person, we, we don't know anything about you. You look like something may be wrong. Ah, I don't want to be around you. Let me be around the ones who seem to have their mind intact. But I love it. If Jesus was walking the earth, I would believe, and I, I know, he would be around that person who hasn't bathed in weeks. That person who... Uh, needs uh, medicine for their mental health. He would be around the one who is just written off, displaced, pushed around on the fringes, the down and outs, people who have no hope. So I want us to begin looking at the text and see how Jesus engages this man because I believe this man fits that latter category. The text begins by saying in verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John, the writer, does not tell us what feast this is. Earlier in John chapter 2, we are told about the feast of Passover. But here we're not told what feast it is. Last week, we knew, we knew that Jesus, he healed a man's son. Jesus was in northern Israel. He's in Cana of Galilee. But the text says now he's gone to Jerusalem. We don't know how much time elapsed between when he healed the servant, the, the royal official son, and went to Jerusalem. All John tells us is that there is a feast of the Jews. At some point, Jesus left Galilee and went to Jerusalem south, but the text says he went up to because Jerusalem sat on a higher elevation. Then in verse 2, we are told that there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In the Greco-Roman world, public baths were standard in cities. 
and at these, these public baths, people congregated around these pools. These pools were the size of football fields. So this is a, this not you going to your YMCA. Uh, I don't know how long those pools are. Uh, this is you going to uh, what, uh, wherever the, let's say the NC State, where their football field is or any other football field. A hundred yard field and the pool could have been 20 feet deep. So this is a large pool. And at these pools, they had covered porches so that people could walk, sit, or even lay down. Now, this is why we are told that there were uh, a multitude of invalids because these people could go to these pools and just lay out as other people are coming there. And the Bible says that there were blind, lame, and paralyzed people at this pool this, by the Sheep Gate in, uh, called Bethesda. All of these people that had mobility problems, and they were consigned to begging. We see all throughout Scripture, uh, Acts, and any place elsewhere, you had a person who had a need, and they could not go and work, and they begged. They begged from those who were around. Now, in the ESV and some other modern translations, if you notice, verse 4 is absent. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5. It is absent because verse 4 was probably later added by a scribe because of what it says in verse 7. Now, if you got the King Jimmy version, excuse me, King James, or I think maybe the NASB, it's, it has verse 4 in it, and it says that an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water, and whoever was first to get into the water after uh, the angel went into the water, the first person that would get in would be healed. So all of these people were there because they believed that an angel hit the water and that the water now had some magic going on with it because as it's bubbling up, the first one that can slide off in that thing gets healed. The reason we believe this is because of what it says in verse 7. When Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? He says, sir, I ain't got nobody to put me in the water when it's stirred up. And while I'm going down, somebody else gets down in there before me. But as we see this man, I want to consider something about him. I don't want to talk about no angel or the water stirred up. I want us to focus in on this man who was an invalid for 38 years and see some of his problems. If he was totally immobile, it means that someone would have had to carry him to this pool, either at one, one time and just left him there, or every single day taking him to this pool. Now, many, most of us don't like to be inconvenienced, am I right? Okay, I'm, I may be the only one. Every day, this guy, you're going to ask me to take you to a pool. Brother, I got to go to the grocery store. I got something to do. Again, I know I'm just being kind of facetious here, but my point is that someone would have had to get this man to this pool. If he was able to move at all, all he could do was crawl. I think he could do that because he says to Jesus, before I could get into the water, someone else steps down before me, meaning he's too slow. Now, for this type of person who had mobility issues, another problem they had was personal hygiene issues. 
Those who were paralyzed and immobile frequently could not control their bowel nor their bladder. So if this was true for this man, think of this, for 38 years, if he could not control his, his bodily functions, the smell or the stench that would come from him, which means nobody would want to be around him. He's begging, hoping someone would get him into the water. He just wants to be healed. I also got to believe that this guy doesn't want to be in this condition. We're going to learn more about him next week or, or when we get to the next part in John chapter 5. But he doesn't want to be in this condition. But he was ostracized. He had been in this condition for, y'all, this is a long time, 38 years. I'm not talking about two months. I'm not talking to be two weeks when you just got a cold. When COVID hit us and, and those of us who did experience COVID, we, were, we, we felt bad because you got me isolated for five to ten days. This man was in this condition for 38 years, hoping that his condition would get better, but it didn't. It just seemed to get worse over time. And if it's this long, you got to believe hope was... There is no hope. On March the 23rd, 1939, there was this very expensive submarine that sunk, that went down uh, off of the coast of a place in New Hampshire. It sank. Now, there were 33 men that were trapped in the submarine who were ultimately able to be found. They were rescued. As men went down to rescue them, what they would start doing is tapping on the metal of the hull trying to find where the men are, and those men who were trapped, they would tap back. They would tap back on the metal that they could, and they would tap back in Morse code. And when they tapped back to the rescuers, they tapped a message that simply said this, is there any hope? Is there any hope for us? All of us, I believe, have been in situations where we have asked ourselves at one point in time, is there hope for me in this? Is there hope? Because right now it doesn't feel like there is any hope on the horizon. Would things get better? Because day after day after day after day, it just seems to be hard and it sucks and I'm angry, even angry at God. God, I'm trusting you, but nothing is changing. Do you see me? Is there any hope? Have you been there? Have you been there? More than that, I said this last week and I will continue to say it. If you are experiencing hardship and difficulty, if you're in Christ, you, we must know that God is using it. <laughs> we don't know how, but he is using the difficulties for his glory and for our good. How do I know this? Because of what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. And he says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Who does it work for good for? Those who do what? Those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so when we get to verse 6, Jesus asks the man, do you want to be healed? I love it. 
Jesus, when other people would ignore this guy sitting by this pool, maybe he has a stench. Maybe they are ignoring him as he is begging for money as if money will fix his issue. By the way, most, many of the problems that we have, y'all, money can't fix. Let me say that again. There's nothing wrong with money. We work and we expect to be paid, but there's some things in life, money cannot address it. We don't have pockets deep enough to address this sole issue that we are having. This man was an invalid. He couldn't walk. Like if I paid money, now I know we got doctors now, you, we transplant everything. You, you can't walk. Like we, we can change your knees and hips and we can give you prosthetics and, and that's great. But it's some things in our lives money can't fix. For him, money could not deal with the fact that he was an invalid for 38 years. He is at this pool. No one talks to him. No one notices him. But Jesus spoke to him. He stood before him and says, do you want to be healed? I love it because Jesus took the initiative with him just as he took the initiative with the Samaritan woman. If we remember back in John chapter 4, Jesus stops at a place in Samaria at a well, and he asks the woman, give me, a, he says to the woman, give me something to drink. Jesus initiated toward this woman. Now with this, 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 this invalid man for 38 years, he says, do you want to be healed? But it's just not that Jesus took the initiative with them, but Jesus also takes the initiative with us. Friends, if you're in Christ today, don't think that you came to him because you had it in your heart that you wanted to pursue God. Nah. Even if you did come to the place where you say, I want to pursue God, he had to start something in you first to give you the heart to even say, God, I want you. So that you could go to him because left to yourself, you want no parts of him. How do I know? I'm glad you asked that question too. Because in Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do? Man, you can stick a dead person all day. You can shoot a dead person. That dead person ain't going to do nothing. Yes, I did use that for my English people. Ain't going to do a thing. They can't respond. And the Bible says you and I are spiritually dead. What, what does that mean? We cannot spiritually do anything to go towards God at all. He has to take the initiative with us. But I also like what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, because this shows how God does initiate with us. Look at it with me. It says, but God. Those are some of the greatest words in Scripture, y'all. Life is rough. It ain't getting no better. It seems like, oh, I'm in this condition, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Who made us alive? He did. He initiates toward us to bring us the spiritual healing that we need. So this man, who was an invalid for 38 years, he needed help. But here's what's interesting. He looked at the water as his source of healing. You see, in his day, it was common for an individual or a group to believe in magic alongside of religion. 
I believe in magic and religion. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of the word syncretism. What is syncretism? Syncretism is the blending of religious beliefs, combining different or opposite doctrines and practices. Now, I don't need for us to think like, oh, we don't do that. Let me, let, let me come to all of our living rooms. Uh, you may not do it now, but I remember growing up where you got a person who would say, I trust Christ, but I'm a, I, I'm a Taurus. I mean, you get, you get to this, this uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, like the Zodiac, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm a Gemini. Geminis act this way. And we don't think it's nothing like, uh-uh, but we're not, we're not talking the gospel. We're talking Zodiac and stars and all of that stuff, blending two things together. Okay, maybe you didn't do that. But I'm a Christian, and I'm believing in the platform of my political party. So we need to not think that we don't, this is not a struggle for us, that we would blend faith and this other stuff in culture, thinking that those, it's almost like, again, I'm, 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 y'all, y'all, y'all coming in my room now. I told you I love, I love me some Sanford and Son. And, and there was an episode where, where Fred Sanford is about to get on an airplane, and he was so scared, he had, he had a rabbit's foot, uh, uh, a crucifix, uh, something else, and he was like, man, I got to have full coverage. So for him, he needed all of these things because he was so afraid that if one doesn't come through, then I, there's another, there's another. Believing all of this stuff that that would be the way that he would be safe on this airplane. And I know there was a show that's a sitcom, it's a comedy, but I think we all, if we're not careful, we all would lean into this stuff. Where I'm trusting you, Jesus, but I need this also over here. Because Jesus, if you don't come through, I'm trusting this man is looking to this water. Thinking that there was some magic in this water. And so he says to Jesus, when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps me. Now, the, the, the tenor of this text for me seems to be that this man thought that this was a stupid question. You see me laying at the pool. You ask me if I want to be healed. Come on, man. I, I'm not here just to waste my time. I want things to change. Certainly I want to be healed. But he says, there's no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. See, he thought that the stirring of the water would bring his healing. But he did not know that the source of his healing was standing right before him. Then Jesus, I love it, he says in verse 8, these are some imperatives. These are some commands. Three commands in verse 8. He says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Commands. I know, again, I, I, I want to highlight this command because he is, he is declaring, this is what you will do. I'm, I'm telling you, I am commanding you to get up. So first, he tells the man to get up, and this anticipates the voice of the Son of Man on the last day when the righteous and the wicked will hear his voice and come out of the tombs in resurrection. The Bible lets us know that there is coming a day whether, we, you, whether you want to believe it or not, but the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, we even have it in John, where there is going to be a resurrection day. If you have a loved one who has died, 
That means they're just separated from their physical bodies. They are alive, but their bodies are going to be raised from the dead, both the wicked and the righteous. And when the righteous are raised from the dead, they will be raised to eternal life. But the wicked will also be raised, but be raised to condemnation. How are they going to be raised? The voice of God will speak and they will obey. It's no choice. If you look at uh, uh, John chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus goes to the tomb of a man by the name of Lazarus. He had been there four days, and I love what the King James says. Uh, Jesus says he, he's going to, 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 to remove the stone, and they said, by now he stinketh. You know, he, he's stinking. Like, we, we don't need to go to the tomb because they didn't bomb bodies like we do. If you died, you buried that day. They're going to anoint your body with spices and put you away because we don't want to smell that stench. Jesus says, take me to the tomb. He stands before the tomb, remove the stone, and he says, Lazarus, come out of there. And you know what the Bible says? Lazarus bound, hand and foot, is scooting out of the tomb. A man who had been dead four days. But Lazarus had to obey. Why? Because the voice of God spoke and he had to come out of that tomb. So when Jesus spoke to this invalid, he says, get up. I have to imagine something energized in his legs. Something energized in his legs. Something that he hadn't done in 38 years, he's now able to do. We don't know how old this man was, but I got to believe that he's 40 plus. Maybe he forgot. Maybe there was atrophy in his legs. Because he couldn't use them. But something happened because the voice of God spoke and he stood. Then Jesus says, take your mat. Mat was usually of straw and it's easily rolled. And so this man who couldn't do much of anything is now able to reach down and take the thing that he was laying on and roll it up. And then he says, walk. And he does so. See, this healing of this man who was once an invalid left no ambiguity. It's not a question. Everybody can see, I just saw this man laying there. I just saw it, but now I see that he has been changed. And he's also no longer called an invalid. In verse 9, he's called just the man. So now he's not described by what he once was. Have you ever been around someone that knew you before you came to Christ? And they want to talk to you about what you used to be. You know, for me, like, my wife knows this. I, I go home sometimes and people would see me. Yeah, they know I am in ministry and a pastor, but they want to talk about what I used to do. And I'm so glad that now in Christ Jesus, I am not described or known by what I used to be. And that's why I love the song by the by. by, by by the Hawkins singers, changed. A change has come over me. And it's not a change that I brought on myself. It's a change that he has done in my life. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A change is taking place in my life. And if you're in Christ today, a change is taking place in your life. But what do you do when you're waiting for things to change in your life? When you, it seems that there's no hope like this man who had been waiting for 38 years. 
Like what in, in the in living in the in-between. In between what I what I am and what I will be. Living in that space, do you lose hope? What do you do in the interim? My family is a family that loves amusement parks. Now, not in the family I was born into, but the family I married into loves amusement parks. And the wilder the ride, the more fun. That's not for Russell, though. And the wildest ride you can get on at an amusement park is a roller coaster. Specifically, in my family, it's the Hulk. Right? You go to Florida, you, it's the Hulk. Y'all know where Russell at. Y'all go ahead. I'm going to sit right here. Right? But it's this Hulk. It's, it's this wild ride. And the problem with this ride is that there are a whole lot of folk who want to get on this ride, which means the line is long, which means it could take you over an hour to get on the ride. So what the park does is, as you're in this line, and I've been on the Hulk before too, what parks do, they, as you're in the line, they got a bunch of TV screens or monitors lined up along the way that are on, that are, that's distracting you from what? Not being focused on how long you're in the line, but giving you something to look at as you are waiting to get onto your ride. And it won't affect you the same way as if you're just there waiting. It's taking your mind off of the pain of waiting. Friends, I don't know how long God's going to keep you in the line that you're in. I don't know how long he's going to make you wait for your deliverance to come. All I do know is that there is a comforter. There is a distraction. There is something that God has provided for us as we are living in the in-between to deal with what we are going through. God wants us in the middle of what we are going through to focus on the fact that if we are seeking, serving, and committed to him, that we stay focused on him that the God who has allowed the affliction in our lives is also the one who is with us as we are going through these tough times. And I love the way the Bible says it. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you. Because you see us and we're like this invalid this man who was in a condition for 38 years. Now, we may not be in struggles and difficulties for that long, but I love it because that man's condition was no hindrance for you. Jesus, I thank you that you are at work in and among us, even in our day. Lord, when it's so hard for us to see your work at times, I pray that you would give us the spiritual sight to recognize that you are doing something in and among us. And if we can't even see your hand, that we could trust your heart as we come to you and your word. So as we're in this season, for many people, Christmas may be a hard season. It's a reminder of, very, uh, of difficulties that, that are taking place in, in their lives. Maybe that's someone here. Maybe for some of us here, Lord, life is just hard. It sucks right now. And, and I'm grateful that we could come to you and we could say that. 
but I thank you, Lord, that you're still in control. And we know this because there was nothing more difficult in our world than the death of our Savior. He died. He was in that tomb for three days. And his death was no hindrance because he is the resurrection and the life. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. So as we prepare to worship by remembering his death on the cross for us, Lord God, I pray that our hearts would leap within us for joy, even if our outside circumstances have not changed, knowing that if nothing changes in this life, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and we will forever be with you. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.